Good morning. <clears throat> I want to encourage you again, we discussed this last week as we traverse through this series in Philippians, that you would perhaps make it a goal to memorize some of this book, whether that be just a verse, a chapter, a paragraph, a chapter, or some of you would be so bold to memorize the entire book. Um, I've repeatedly said how much I'm amazed at the providence of God that this book, for this book, for us, at such a time as this, if we would hide this word in our heart in order that we might not sin against him, that we might understand the gospel of Christ, the fellowship of Christ, a call to unity, a call to rejoice in suffering and opposition, what great truths and foundations that would lay for us for years to come. Many of you, I'm sure, have seen many of the recent headlines. Perhaps most of you, like myself, are very concerned about the potential future of this country that we love. The rapid, continual advancement and promotion of the slaughter of children within the womb. The supercharged promotion of deviant lifestyles that are an abomination to the Lord. The full-on frontal assault of our religious liberties. Or the continual promotion of isolation and fear. For many of us, for years, we have qu quoted Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. In many respects... It seems as though that is truly the case today. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. What are we to do? Are we to cower down and await our eventual demise? Or better yet, should we be prepared for battle? I would wholeheartedly agree with the words of the Scottish reformer John Knox when he said, to resist tyranny is obedience to God. We would be right, we would be biblical to stand against the Nebuchadnezzars of our day. However, we would be remiss if we lost sight of what is truly behind these worldly battles. Paul reminds us of this reality in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. When he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. As we watch the deterioration of this country, we cannot help but feel as though the judgment of God is upon our perpetual celebration of sin. The circumstances seem bleak indeed. In many respects, when I think of the church at Philippi, they must have felt many of these similar grave concerns. When this letter was penned, they were under the reign of the Emperor Nero. We all have heard of his reign of terror and his persecution of Christians. And yet, Paul sought to encourage them as they lived under 
a gospel of Caesar, if you will. Last week, we discussed how Paul began his letter with a prayer of thanksgiving. We looked at three attributes from that prayer. A prayer of confidence, a prayer of emotion, and a prayer of substance. All of these serving to encourage the church in the two primary encouragements and foundations that we see in the letter as a whole. A call to unity, a call to rejoice in suffering and opposition. The gospel of Christ and the fellowship of Christ. This morning I want us to look at several answers to answer to our question for the day. What does God use to advance the gospel? Listen. In the face of our circumstances, I get it. We at times feel discouraged in the midst of such suffering and opposition. However, we can take joy. Furthermore, we can rest in the assurance and the victory of the gospel. Before we read our message, I want to share with you words that struck to the core of my heart, and I pray that it would be the same for you from the doctor himself, Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great Welch preacher of the 20th century. He said this, The glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. Perhaps at times throughout history, this line of living a life devoted to Christ, while at times being in the world, could be blurred. Friends, times are fast approaching. If not, we are already here where that will be literally impossible. To sit on a fence is no longer an option in the world that we live in. You know what? As much as it's difficult for me to say, I believe with all my heart that that's a good thing. The proclamation of the gospel will go forth. God's word will not return void. Are you ready to play your part? Would you stand with me for the reading of our text for today? Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage, courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? 
Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. You may be seated. Thanks be to God for this living and authoritative word that cuts down deep, discerns our thoughts and intentions. We need it. I need it. Our first answer to our question today, that question again is, what does God use to advance the gospel found in verses 12 through 14? That answer is the circumstances of life. The circumstances of life. Verse 12 begins with the words, I want you to know. There's a principle here that we cannot miss concerning the Christian life in general and specifically circumstances here. The gospel defined is good news. I don't know about anybody else, but I need some good news right now. Paul is once again communicating to the church as a whole. I've made reference to it several times. He uses this plural you. It's important that we understand that he wants to communicate to the church as a whole. In Galatians chapter 6, he spoke of how it's important for those that receive good things should be willing to share that with their teacher. The point is found in the encouragement that the body of Christ finds when sharing good news. There's a reason why missionaries send report, reports. And we read them. And we rejoice in them. <clears throat> to use our phrase from last week, we are in the participation of the gospel with them. And that serves to encourage us. 1 Corinthians 12 speaks to this significant aspect of Scripture <clears throat> pertaining to the body and if its need for each other. Communication within the body can certainly be a great motivator for our ultimate purpose, the progress of the gospel. This was Paul's heart from conversion until death. What did he desire to share? He desired to encourage the church irrespective of circumstances. We discussed some of our circumstances to begin with. Just in case you're tempted to discourage in the midst of your circumstances, let's do a little compar comparison. Have any of you been beaten for the gospel? Have any of you been imprisoned for the gospel? Have you faced the threat of the Roman scourge? Have you faced potential death in a shipwreck as God calls you to proclaim the gospel? You get the point. Even if you could relate with those circumstances, 
And friends, there are Christians in this world now that in many respects can relate with those circumstances. But as for us and where we are here in such a time as this, even if we could relate, we can still rejoice in suffering. Why is that? God uses circumstances no matter how dire or not for the advancement, for the progress of the gospel. We know that within these circumstances, specifically here, the gospel had progressed. We can assume even in the birth of this church that it would have been near and dear to their hearts, this church at Philippi. We discussed that in the introduction to the letter. The suffering and the opposition that took place that birthed that church. Or even during Paul's imprisonment, when writing this letter, we hear of this advancement in Acts chapter 28, 22 through 24. But we desire to hear from you what your views are for regarding this sect. It is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. When they had set a day for Paul, people came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets. From morning until evening, some were being persuaded by the things said by Paul. Souls were being saved in the midst of Paul's imprisonment. For even the progress of the gospel through the participation of it that we saw last week in verse 5. I have a question for you. What about your circumstances? Are they serving for the advancement and progress of the gospel or are they a roadblock? Whether it is a virus potential religious persecution, loss of a job, marriage difficulties, whatever they may be, resolved by the power of Christ that you may be found faithful in the midst of your circumstances. In verse 13, we see that through the circumstances of this imprisonment, Christ had become well-known throughout the Praetorian Guard and everyone else. Is that your desire? That Christ might be magnified and the gospel would be on full display? No matter how well-known or not, that is not your concern. God is the distributor of influence. We will see in an upcoming verse, this was an issue for some near Paul's ministry. That being said, why is the desire to embrace circumstances with simple obedience and faithfulness so much bigger than you? Look again at verse 14. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Let's not forget who Paul was primarily speaking to in writing this letter. 
but Christians under the reign of the wicked emperor Nero. The word courage here is defined as to be so bold as to challenge or defy possible danger or opposition. To dare. Is that our desire? By the grace of God and the power of Christ that resides within us to be so bold to speak truth with love. The same word is used here in Mark 15, 43. When Joseph of Arimathea approached Pilate, the text reads, Joseph of Arimathea came, a prominent member of the council, who was himself also waiting for the kingdom of God, and he gathered up courage and went in before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. As Paul desired to encourage this church to embrace circumstances, God's word even for us today, encourage us us in the same manner, spurring us on as the verse will conclude, to speak the word of God without fear. Now admittedly, I at times wrestle with this, and I know you do too as well. We fear man rather than fear God. Let it never be. We fall short, but by the grace of God, let it never be an excuse for us that we would be emboldened to speak with power and courage for the gospel, for the sake of Christ. The challenge for us is to see through circumstances and to reach for the progress of the gospel Paul's obedience in the midst of circumstances served to embolden others for the sake of the gospel. Moreover, we will see throughout this letter that it served to embolden him as well. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. As we see in 2 Timothy Jesus' instruction to his disciples in chapter 10 provides tremendous application for us, for our circumstances and how we are to respond. He said, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be as wary as serpents and as innocent of doves. But be on guard against people for they will hand you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will even be brought before governors and kings on my account as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. He goes on to say, do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew chapter 10. Are we ready? Are we prepared by the power of Christ within us, not in and of ourselves, to go out 
into the midst of a world full of wolves to speak with courage and conviction for Christ. The fence, as I stated, is no longer an option for you. The second answer to our question, what does God use to advance the gospel, is the actions of men. The actions of men found in verses 15 through 18. Divine sovereignty and human responsibility continue to be on display. God is indeed using circumstances to accomplish His divine purposes. Thank you. getting too excited he is using circumstances to accomplish his divine purposes however however at the same time he is also using and directing the actions of men to accomplish his good purposes one of the beauties of this reality is that god even uses the sinful actions of men to accomplish his purpose. We see this in verse 15 and 17. He states that some are preaching Christ, but they are doing so with sinful motives. He uses the words envy, strife, and selfish ambition to describe these unpure motives. He further communicates that they are doing so in order to cause him distress. There's two words that connect these motives, and that is jealousy and rivalry. You will recall that I mentioned earlier that some were perhaps too concerned with their level of influence. Verse verse 13 stated that Christ had become well-known to everyone because of Paul's imprisonment. Herein lies what I believe to be the connection as Paul attempts to address this jealousy and rivalry that was around him in his ministry. Now it is important to mention, although these men were acting with sinful motives, they were not unbelievers. The context shows us that in verse 12 as he spoke to them as brothers. To give an illustration by way of our present day context, unfortunately at times within Christian circles, there is a desire for us in leadership as well as lay persons to look to others in a jealous manner. Whether it be a pastor or even a lay person, one might be tempted to say such things as, I could never lead like him. That guy has such a following. Or perhaps, ladies, I don't understand why so many women follow her. I wish I could minister to women in that type of capacity. The challenge for us all is that by God's grace, we would be found proclaiming Christ from goodwill and out of love, as we see in verse 15 and 16. Those who proclaimed the gospel out of love did so knowing that Paul was appointed for the defense of it. Verse 16. He seems to communicate a picture here that his good motive 
was enhanced by their strong connection to him. Do you see that foundation once again of the fellowship of Christ throughout the letter? One commentator had this to say. He said, They knew also that if because of their preaching he should more quickly or more frequently be brought before the tribunal to defend himself, this would only serve a good end, namely, to provide a forum for the defense of the gospel. Therefore, they were not hesitant to speak the word boldly, for they worked together with the apostle in the spirit of understanding and collaboration. The divine tapestry of Scripture continues to work together in perfect harmony. The gospel of Christ, the fellowship of Christ, a call to unity, the call to rejoice in suffering and opposition connects the dots perfectly. Whether from sinful motives or righteous, verse 18 demonstrates Paul's reason to rejoice, and I might add, ours as well. Look again at verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. Even if it is sinful jealousy or a love for the simple truth, Paul can rejoice. He emphasizes it as he even repeats it two times within the verse. Why does he have reason to celebrate and delight? Because Christ is proclaimed in the actions of men, whether sinful or righteous. When thinking of our answer to this question, we would say God advances the gospel in the actions of men. As you think of that answer, allow me to challenge you with three points of application. Number one, will you be used as an instrument of progress through a heart of goodwill and love? Those here did so And they did so because they desired to see Christ exalted through him. Continue to build connections within the body and your desire to see others grow in that capacity will be enlarged and strengthened. Number two, are you tempted at times to envy others? Embrace faithfulness. Above all, understand again that God is the determiner of your level of influence. Our desire is to be found faithful. Not that we would witness to millions of people or be an advocate for the gospel in nations around the world. If God chooses to so do so, then we say praise the Lord. But if he calls you to just act and be a witness for him in your sphere of influence, no matter how great or small, that you would be found faithful is indeed a blessing. 
And number three, fall in love with the sovereignty of God. Paul could rejoice because he knew that even through the sinful actions of man, the gospel would progress. I love that passage from the book of Genesis, chapter 50, verse 20. It's always an encouragement to me. As Joseph was faced with his brothers, after being sold into slavery, he said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. The greatest source of our confidence in gospel proclamation is found in the sovereign nature of God. Let's move now to our final answer to the question found in verses 19 and 20. Look again with me. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. The third answer to our question is the prayer of his people and the provision of the Spirit. In confident declaration, Paul reveals his conviction that through this prayer and the provision of the Spirit, he will be delivered. Now, there is some debate amongst scholars pertaining to the meaning of what Paul intended to convey in this deliverance, whether it refers to his actual deliverance from imprisonment or a spiritual matter. It's interesting to note, and this is the view that I would hold to, the striking similarity of these words to that of what Job echoed in chapter 13 in his response to the accusations from his friend Zophar. He said, This also will be my salvation or deliverance. Same words. For a godless person cannot come before his presence. Listen carefully to my speech and let my declaration fill your ears. Behold now, I have prepared my case. I know that I will be vindicated. If Paul was making the connection here, he also would have been connecting Job's desire to the meaning of deliverance. The connection certainly seems to be strong that Paul was confident that through prayer and the Spirit, he would be strengthened or delivered for the vindication or defense of the gospel. All that to say, the importance of prayer and the provision of the Spirit cannot be minimized in the progress of the gospel. Last week, we discussed the attribute of the prayer of substance. One of your fellow members provided a tremendous illustration for me in a conversation that I had with her several weeks ago concerning a prayer of substance pertaining to the proclamation of the gospel. In a simple act of obedience, she prayed with spiritual substance that the Lord 
would create an opportunity for her to be bold for Christ on that day. You know what happened? That prayer transpired exactly as she prayed. Would that be your prayer? What did we say? The fence is no longer an option. We have been called to be ministers of reconciliation. We have been called to make disciples. Ephesians 6, 18 and 19 is a wonderful reminder concerning this power of prayer in gospel proclamation. Paul says, with every prayer and request, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be alert with all perseverance and every request for all the saints, and pray in my behalf that speech may be given to me and the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Is that our prayer for our brothers and sisters in Christ here? For our missionaries around the world? For our brothers and sisters in Christ in the universal church? That we would have boldness to make known the mysteries of Christ. Is that our prayer for ourselves? Just as I alluded to in the illustration. It's interesting how in verses 1 through 11, Paul prayed specifically for the church. And now he's in need of their prayer. The foundation of the gospel of Christ is key here to us individually. And the foundation of the fellowship of Christ is powerful here to challenge us to pray for others. Although we know in and of ourselves we are powerless. As was the case in verse 6 last week, our ultimate confidence comes from God. That being said, what is the role of the Spirit in producing this ultimate confidence? As the text says, the provision of the Spirit it is He who provides the ultimate support in the progress of the gospel. Paul would have been fully aware that without the Spirit, there can be no vindication of the gospel. The Spirit is the first cause and author of regeneration. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 reads, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we did in righteousness, but in accordance with His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit who is the provider of joy and affliction. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6 reads, You also become imitators of us and of the Lord having received the word during great affliction with joy in the Holy Spirit. And of course, it is the Spirit who is our great comforter. John chapter 14, 26 reads, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and remind you of all that I said to you. He is a provider he is a person. 
that indwells each and every born-again believer. And as I say this to you, I say it to myself. Do not grieve him. This world is indeed dark. Yet hidden within the corners of this world of depravity, there is still yet a people who God is calling. And he has called us to play a part in that. Through prayer and the provision of the Spirit, we can be strengthened emboldened to dare to speak for Christ. And as we read in Acts chapter 28, some will believe and others will not. And others will persecute you for that boldness. But we will count it joy in order that we might be found worthy to suffer for the sake of Christ. Verse 20 closes out this section with Paul's continued confirmation and affirmation of confidence and hope for the progress of the gospel. This is not a hope within the context that we are familiar with a hope of a potential outcome. Potentially, the Cincinnati Bengals will win a Super Bowl one day. That's a hope of mine. This is an earnest expectation or confidence that what God has began in you he will bring to completion. That his word will not return void. In some instances, as an aroma of life unto life, in others, as an aroma of death unto death. Moreover, he yearns that we would not be found disgraced, that he would not be found disgraced but that he would be found with all boldness in his life. And that's the text in verse 20 states. Two observations here. Romans 8.1 is a beautiful rest for us all. There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. However, I want to challenge you. Beware of secret sins Paul desired that not he would not be found disgraced or shameful secret sins are often the tool of an in, of the enemy of bringing shame into your life put off the old man and put on the new secondly this boldness here is one that relates to a public display. Let me break something down for you here. 
Friendship evangelism is plain and simple an oxymoron. The terms do not coexist. Does that mean that we do not create friendships with the world? May it never be. Of course we do. But don't ever feel as though you are engaging in evangelism and the progress of the gospel if you are just on the surface with friends. Create your friends. Speak in the natural. Have fun with your friends. But would it be your prayer that you might be given the opportunity to be bold, to challenge? And by the power of the Holy Spirit that he might draw the hardened heart. If the gospel is to be proclaimed, it will be done through men and women who desire for Christ to be exalted in their body as the verse concludes. Whether by life again or by death. Next week we will see more concerning that point. So, Take a deep breath. I need to. That's a lot to take in. But we need it. We need good news. We need to be challenged to be bold for Christ in a world such as this. We began with the question, what does God use to advance the gospel? We answered that question within this text the circumstances of life, the actions of men, the prayer of His people, and the provision of the Spirit. I'll leave you with two last comments. And one is to come back to our quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. So struck a chord with my heart, and it's my prayer that it would be the same with you as you reflect upon this passage for us today. He said, the glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. And my second comment to close is very simple. How will you respond? As we read through the book of James in our scripture reading, We know what much of that book speaks to. Faith without works is dead. It's my daily prayer for each and every one of you that we would be men and women bold for Christ. Warriors for Christ. Are you ready for the battle? Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you for this great truth of the glorious gospel. We need to hear it on a regular, daily basis ourselves. But Lord, we also know that there is a world in need of this great truth of redemption 
reconciliation and hope, forgiveness of sins. Lord, I'm led to even pray right now that if there might be one in this room under the sound of your living and authoritative word, would you use it to draw them even now? If there is one here, repent of your sins, turn from the punishment and the judgment that you so deserve. You will find him to be a savior full of grace and mercy. For those of us that have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, would you help us, O oh God, to never take that reality for granted? To live our lives as a testimony for Christ. Desiring with all our hearts to proclaim the gospel, the good news of Christ in the midst of our circumstances, no matter how dire or not. In the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me?